Major Lindsay in Africa presents Erasing the Stigma, conversations about mental health in the legal profession. Welcome to Erasing the Stigma, conversations about mental health in the legal profession. I'm Mark Yacono, your host. I'm a managing director with Major Lindsay in Africa's Transform Advisory Services practice. I have been bringing together professionals from all types of disciplines as we've developed this podcast from clinicians to people in recovery to academics to people in the business community. Um, today I have a very special guest who I won't disclose how long we've known each other, but it's been a while. Uh, Sheila Murphy, who was a very senior in the MetLife legal department for many, many years and is now the CEO of Forward Focus Consulting or Focus Forward Consulting, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> okay. Focus Forward Consulting and is working with um, all types of different organizations and people to develop talent. And the topic we're gonna cover today is how to give constructive feedback. Uh, I think it's a timely and relevant topic in, in a period of time when we're working remotely, when employee engagement and development is more important than effort ever and we need to um, really figure out how to do that well. So Sheila, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do a better job uh, introducing yourself than I did and then we're going to have a conversation. Thank you, Mark. That was a very kind introduction and I appreciate you leaving out how long we've known each other. Um, now, like I, Mark said, my name is Sheila Murphy, and I founded uh, this coaching and consulting business about two years ago when I retired from MetLife. And the reason that I founded this organization is I wanted to give lawyers more control over their courage, compensation, and careers. While I do work with other people, my practice primarily does focus on lawyers, and it's a, it's a space that I know very well. And what I really like about working with lawyers is they're very smart, intelligent people, but we do have a lot of, I don't know if the right word is baggage or things from trying to be successful because we are sort of molded to think that there's one career path and one way to go. And that doesn't necessarily have to be the case. And you know, the one beautiful thing about feedback is if it's done correctly, it can help you find the right path for yourself where you can find that happiness. That was a, a terrific introduction. And did I hear you say the word courage? Yes. Can you talk about that? I, you know, when it comes to moving forward in our careers, especially as lawyers, I think we, we, many of us who are high performing, we went to a certain school and then we get to law school and we think we're gonna be on this path as to become an associate, a partner, and that we're gonna follow the rules exactly. And we're, we're taught in some ways to be risk adverse and to think about our path in a very linear way. And what I like to say to people is sometimes taking a zig or a zag can bring you more success and more importantly, greater happiness and fulfillment in your careers. And even if you, if the path to partner is the one that you want or GC, we still have these voices in our heads that often, you know, 
berate us and to judge us and tell us that we are not enough. And what I like to help people do is squelch those voices a little bit so they can pursue the path that they were meant to. I think there's two interesting threads to what you just said. The first is the sort of locked in mindset. And the analogy I like to use is in the old days of uh, before the shot clock, uh, Dean Smith developed the four corner offense where so they would pass the ball and pass the ball and pass the ball. So the other side essentially couldn't score. And I think sometimes um, we want so badly to achieve the what we perceive to be the, the, the plums of the profession, partnership or promotion, that we play not to fail as opposed to taking risks and possibly pushing to do something unique or to excel. And what is interesting in what you said is a woman I worked with was that person who was so afraid of getting fired or having her compensation impact and she was an in-house that she was staying in her lane. And what the feedback she got when she's talked about advancing and promotion was that she wasn't acting enough as a leader because she was so afraid to speak up. The, the impact was hurting her career. Sometimes we think about these things as helping our career. I'll retain my position. I, I will, people will like me. Everything will go smoothly. But sometimes when you don't get out of that lane, you, do, you don't get the opportunities to shine. And so what you have to know and then think about is something really serving me well. And that ties back to the other thing you said about the, the self-dialogue, which there's a whole lot of literature out there that suggests that we have thousands of conversations a day in our head that we're not even cognizant of, and that we believe certain things about ourselves because we haven't separated out that false sort of false narrative. So the so if you're playing it safe because you have that narrative that you're not good enough or that you might not be good enough or that you're an imposter, what you're really doing is you're having a self-sabotaging dialogue that's preventing you from striving forward and perhaps taking a risk. No, I absolutely agree with you. And there are techniques that can help you. And also sometimes, you know, getting back to a little bit of what we were gonna talk about today is, you know, positive feedback and seeking out from others how they view you is also really helpful. You know, people are harder on themselves than they need to be. And it's, you know, wonderful when you talk to people who are out there, whether it's for formal or informal feedback, what you're going to discover about yourself and what your strengths are. That's a, that, that's, that's a great segue into what we were going to talk about was creating an environment where you can get constructive feedback. Uh, before we get into that, I've always had an interesting view of reaching out for feedback, which is sometimes it's validating. Sometimes it suggests that you have strength or weaknesses you didn't see. But yeah, I think there's a, a, a filter or a calibration that has to happen for when you discount some of the things you're hearing because they're really not, they're really, really don't define who you are. And I wonder if you have any thoughts on how you filter out what might be um, disabling, quote, constructive feedback versus 
constructive feedback that will really help you grow? I mean, I think there's a couple of different things. First of all, you, you must focus that the feedback is one person's perception on your behavior, not on you as a whole person. And people who are very good at feedback will give feedback in that way. But you do need to understand who is the source and if they might have other motives um, or things that are impacting them and why they are giving you the feedback. So you need to be able to have a little bit of a filter that way. But at the same point, that feedback, no matter what, gives you information. So if this person is your boss, for example, and they are not putting you in for opportunities and you don't quite, you think it's a little self-serving and you may need to think about the fact, maybe this isn't the right place for me because can I grow with this type of manager? So you need to look at the feedback one, is it, you know, do I believe it to be true? And you may want to get several different points of information to sort of see, is this a consensus or is this an outlier? And then two, what does this information mean to me in terms of my career? Um, and, and what career paths I should be thinking about? Is that I helpful? Really, I, I really like the idea that you can look at feedback in a different a number of different ways one way in which you look at it is it could actually point out or suggest or identify an area for which you need improvement the other idea which i think you just said that's really powerful is, is feedback is a signal is what i call it and the signal is sometimes we don't want to abandon the mission or we don't want to stop the race because we think because we haven't gone the whole quote the whole distance we were quitters when in reality those signals are saying well you're on the wrong path you need a new map and sometimes it's the wrong path and sometimes it's just the wrong organization i have seen people because there are cultural and firm environments and people who don't thrive in certain organizations, go to a new one, and they are like the cat's pajamas there. They right. have found that place where they fit. And it doesn't mean that any organization is bad. It just means that they're different people fit better in different cultures. And that's the beauty of, you know, having different types of folks and places to go. Well, and I really think that if you look at the uh, study that the ABA did in, in conjunction with uh, Betty Ford Hazelton on substance abuse and mental illness in the legal profession. One of the most shocking statistics was the depth at which it affected younger lawyers under the age of 30, um, which was very significant, I think more significant than anybody would have predicted. And so, you know, the, the ability to guide people to a conclusion that it's not me, it's just the wrong fit and culture. And, you know, sort of the plethora of um, success stories of people who have left, um, who have left for another culture and thrived. I mean, there's just so many of them out there. And not only that, usually when you find the place where you thrive, you're happier. And, you know, now and then I've seen people who are in places and they, you, 
you're right. They don't want to get up the fight. They've always, if I work harder, if I do this, this is what they, they've been taught, I'll succeed. And, you know, we spend so much time in the office, in work. You, you shouldn't have to be, you shouldn't have, to, I'm not going to say it's going to be your favorite time of day, but you shouldn't be miserable in it. You should find a place where you feel that you can be your best authentic self. Yeah. And I think the, the, the strand I take away from that is there's a difference between having an appropriate and professional tone and being in an environment where you can't speak in your own voice, where you're really out of character, out of typecast, um, no matter what you do or how hard you try. It's this perpetual frustration loop because you, you're forgetting who you are. Right. And when you, and when that happens, you feel like you can't speak. And then both you and the organization suffer because the organization loses your valuable wisdom and you feel like you can't be yourself. And there's a price to be paid. If you look at, especially at the studies on people of color and the microaggressions and not being able to speak up on it, there is a personal cost that happens in those areas. And by the way, I'm not saying that if you're in a toxic environment that you shouldn't, you know, take all remedies that that type of thing, that's a different thing. I'm talking about normal cultural cultures that are just different. Yes, no, totally, totally understood. But I'm glad you clarified that. Do you see the um, a need for the elevation of the art of feedback becoming even more critical now? that so many organizations are going to have a remote component, may not have a fully integrated office component for a year, maybe even two years. And, and so the need to create feedback in an environment and room for growth is even more important now. And, and perhaps we never thought about how to do that remotely. I, I, I can't stress this enough because what we've absolutely have lost in this remote culture is that water cooler chatter, that slight little comment that you would make or piece of information you would get that impacts, especially the more junior associates and speaking to a lot of junior associates in this environment, they feel that it's almost inappropriate to have those lighter conversations where you get so much information and when you learn so much. So. And I also think people aren't giving those light little pieces of feedback that sort of slide off your back. You don't even realize you're giving them because it, you know, it's just part of a conversation in the office and we're not having those conversations. And so I think that we need to focus on how we are developing talent. And also it's a little bit harder to read people over the Zoom so that are, you, you know, are we doing this feedback in a thoughtful way? And it, we also must remember not just to focus on the negative, but when people do stuff right. People do stuff right 90% of the time, 99% of the time. And we often forget to mention that to them. And we just focus on what might be you know, constructive uh, feedback. You know, it's interesting because um, earlier or late last year, I had Gina Passarella uh, the editor-in-chief of ALM on, and obviously ALM with its Mind Over Matter um, um, series, you know, really put some spotlight on mental health issues in the legal profession. But one of the things Gina noted is she was beginning to reach out to 
you know, associates and, 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 and people at firms was the fear that there was going to kind of be a lost generation of unmentored associates who weren't going to get the benefit of that um, in-person contact. And I, I think that's absolutely correct. And if you tie it back to your earlier point about sorting out culture and where you belong, it would seem that it's even harder to have that decision when you're not really interacting on a, on a, on a live, uh, a truly live personal level. No, I, I absolutely agree with that because I think the idea of what a firm's culture is and how you make that known in Zoom, um, you lose lunch, coffee, there's a lot that is lost. Um, there's a lot that's gained in terms of flexibility, but I think we need to think about how we retain this talent that we've brought in so that they feel that they are part of an organization. And I think part of it is giving them that positive feedback, taking a moment to think about their careers and opportunities and have those conversations about how people are doing. I think that the perfectionism that, that has been stereotypically, but probably not unfairly applied to traits of a, of a lawyer um, can often cause uh, folks giving feedback to overlook the fact that the one typo didn't change the fact that the legal research was brilliant or the one typo or um, grammar error didn't overlook the fact that they found like the, the smoking gun. It's, it's very interesting how I think if you don't focus on the positive, the negative can actually, focusing on the negative can actually completely overlook the enormous value that you got from the positive. You know, I absolutely agree with that. And something that leaps to mind is when you think of someone who is um, dyslexic, and, you know, which is rare in legal professions, so maybe not as rare as you think, because I know I am. Um, but you think of someone like Richard Branson, who can't read or put grammar together, but is brilliant at ideas, and who's a dyslexic. So you have to, you know, there's different ways of thinking and approaching and value that people can bring to that organization. And we don't always think about enough, what is the right place for someone? What is their role? Um, there's very few perf people who are perfect in this world. And so we need to think about where people add the most value and to leverage those skill sets in such a way that improves the outputs for the organization and the individual. Yeah, and it was interesting. About eight months ago, I interviewed a person, a potential candidate, and we were talking about his leadership style. And he told a really compelling story that I think is worth repeating, that when he came into his organization, he had a fellow who frustrated the living daylights out of him, absolutely frustrated the living daylights out of him. And they had a hard, several hard conversations. And then when, on, the, on the conversation where he was gonna let the guy go, the guy said, well, I'm dyslexic. And the leader said, well, why didn't you tell me that? That changes everything. It explains so many things. And so, you know, recognizing the issue, they restructured how the guy would work, what role he would play. And they ended up working together for like 15 years. But it was just an understanding of, 
well, this person is going to have to work differently, but it's not because they don't have ability. It's because they have, um, they have other gifts than, you know, words on a page in, in the traditional order that they do. And, and I think one of the things that I'd love your take on is how do you begin to change an organization to think about putting people in the right roles and their highest and best use as opposed to viewing them as elements of production. And I think it's one of the great tensions of, of, of practicing law is the, the focus on production being billable hours versus the ability to put the right people in the right place to do the job, whether or not it yields as much production in the most abstract sense. I think one of the things that you can think about is, you know, I always think about these things coming from the top. And having leaders talk about, you know, their areas of opportunity and how they tackle that, whether it is working on it or hiring the best talent in that area to help them out. You know, so where if their strength is not um, the soft touch, the HR touch, they hire someone, when one of their lieutenants has that ability. So that when you're putting it together and to be honest about it, and I think this is one of the things I wanna talk about, the more that a culture embraces being honest about um, that it's a learning culture and that we all get feedback and some of it is constructive and we have to move forward. And if I'm a leader, if I can openly discuss it, I think you start to change the mindset. We had a very difficult performance management system when I was at MetLife. And I remember one of the senior executives coming in and talking about when he did really poorly in this thing. This was one of the most senior guys we had. And just his discussion of it and why he still thought that system had value, it all of a sudden opened up people's ways of thinking that it wasn't the senior people imposing something on us. It was really a way that they thought could improve how the company was being innovative and creative. And so I want that same thing as you're talking about the corporate culture and finding the right place for people. And I think managers also need to know their people and their strengths. What makes that person special? And I can assure you, that no two of your employees are the same in terms of how they approach things. And having that individual approach with somebody will bring out their best. And again, I think you only get that when leaders start talking about it and personalizing it. Yeah, I, I think that's one of the most interesting things is that organizations that thrive tend to give people the room to fail. And one of the things that I think leaders don't do enough of is sharing their failures. And I think that's particularly hard for lawyers. I, I really do. I think I, um, we are always been for the most part, real high achievers in our lives. And so the idea of not succeeding in something really is difficult. And, you know, the old acronym, you know, to fail is your first attempt in learning. And you learn more from your failures than you do often from your wins. And 
not everything can be the right initiative. And sometimes the best learnings come out of things that don't work, whether it's about the culture, about um, a product idea. It, I just feel that people need to get a little bit more comfortable with the idea of failure. It, it always fascinates me that in baseball, if you're a 300, if you have a batting average of 300, you're considered a very good hitter. But we never look at when we when we look at and evaluate the lens of our profession, we always evaluate people about around batting a thousand, which is which is just impossible. There was just an article in the Wall Street Journal about a gentleman writing about how much his child learned from being on a hockey team that did not do well. And the idea of being on a losing team and the qualities that it brings out in an individual um, struck me. And I think that's the same thing here when you're, how to go through something like failure without blaming other people, but really making it a learning experience, I do think separates out leaders from people who are meant to be individual contributors, sorry. <clears throat> oh, that's okay. You know, something um, we talked about early on and, and, and was certainly in our, our, our preparation discussions about not every culture is for everyone. Um, what are some of the markers that a younger lawyer in the profession might see that would at least provoke them to ask the question, is this culture right for me? Are there any sort of things or signs or, or markers that, that should prompt at least some thought about whether they're in the right place? Do you dread going into work? I mean, do you, I mean, there's so many things. Are you upset and miserable the entire time? Do you not smile? Um, do you feel that no one understands you? Now, again, if it's a diversity issue, I want to put that aside. Yeah, that is um, a but very it, large but different topics. It's a very different topic, and that, that goes to you know firms and companies make creating inclusive and belonging environments. But if you go into work and it you just dread it every single day, that's an internal thing. You can and then look at the feedback you're getting. How are how are is your work and your value thought of? And then I want you to also think about whether or not you're getting opportunities. And again, if it's not getting, you know, and this is one of those delicate balances we were talking about. You may not be getting opportunities because you may be struggling a little bit and it may be legitimate feedback that you need to work on things. But if you think that it's just that your perspective or your way is not a fit and that's why you're not getting opportunities. You need to find a place where you can get opportunities and thrive. The, the, the sort of visual that I always think of and that, that your, your thoughts just bring to mind is if you view yourself as looking in the window from the outside, you're probably not in the right place. But I would also encourage people if you're feeling that way to try to have some of those conversations about how you're viewed and what might be going on. Why, you know, I see that the person down the hall has been put on two of the biggest transactions. You know, I would love to work on one of those. Is there something I need to do differently for to make that happen? And then 
by having this information, you may be able to figure out whether or not this is the right fit for you. So that brings up, a, I think, a really good um, um, topic, which is if you take the sort of the empirical or the, the quantitative data that lawyers under 30 are at the most at risk for substance abuse and mental health issues in the, in the legal department. So you, you have that dynamic. And then you have the dynamic that often they have those feelings that you're talking about, dreading go to work, feeling disenfranchised. What advice or can you give a younger lawyer about having that, those conversations to address those issues? Because often if you say, well, I'm unhappy, I don't feel like you're being fair, that is like a non-starter. And I think that a lot of people who haven't had the benefit of perspective or um, ill-fated attempts to, to get feedback um, will lead with that. And, and, and you know, I'd like at least the listeners who are, um, who are thinking about having these conversations to have some thoughts on, well, what's the right way or what are some better ways to initiate those discussions so you don't trigger sort of this autonomic response of, Stop complaining. I want, think you want to come in with the idea that you want to contribute more to the organization. So you start the conversation saying, I really would love to be thought as a thought leader in the organization. I want to contribute more to the organization. I think that I could, and, and this, if it's that you're not getting the projects that you want, then you say, I think I could be a greater contributor to this organization. I would like to work on those projects. Um, and I would, you know, I wonder what I need to do differently in my approach to be considered. So it's not that you're going in and telling them. What you're saying is I want to be part of a greater part of this organization and I'm willing to do the work to get there, but I need to understand it. So really you're, you're, you're changing it from the perspective of someone who feels victimized to the perspective of someone who wants to know what they need to do to become a better contributor. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I think that's, an, you know, such valuable advice is to be able to frame it in terms of how you can best serve the organization and what you need to do to be more valued. Right. And I think when you put things that way, people want to help people. And if you're saying, I want to come in and I want to do more, I want you to help me help you, all of a sudden, you're going to get wisdom and people rooting for you. If you go in probably in the, the way where you are complaining, or it is perceived as a complaint, you may not get that same reaction. And I think coming out of that comment is, is really some great perspective, which is no one succeeds in isolation. Everybody needs community. And you need to have those people who are giving you advice. No matter how senior you are, there's always someone who can provide advice and mentorship. When I was an SV, a senior vice president at Med, I had a executive vice president who she was a fabulous mentor to me. And I learned from her all the time. You are never too senior to stop learning from people. And you know, take the opportunity 
to get that advice. And you then can, like I said, evaluate it and decide what works for you because it has to be authentic to you. But take advantage of the generosity of people. So does this tie in with when we prepped and you sent me some talking points, you had a phrase, ask powerful questions. Um, is this is this along the lines of what you, you were talking about or are there other things besides that that factor into powerful questions? And if so, what are they? Okay, what what I, okay, what I was talking about powerful questions is probably being a manager and being a better manager in terms of feedback. When you give feedback to an employee and if you just make it, you need to do this, this is what you're, you know, I need you to do people don't react well to that. They don't embrace the feedback. But if you talk about the fact that you've seen certain behaviors that you would like to be changed and you say to that person, what do you think? And they may either embrace it or not, but you start having a discussion. And then you ask them, how could, we, how could you to handle something differently so we get a different result? And all of a sudden you're not treating that employee in some ways as a child where you're telling them to do, but you're collaborating together to solve the problem. And when someone has is empowered to own their own development, the difference is that it goes into their heart and to their minds in a different way. And you're going to get better results and more engagement from the employee in the long run. And it sounds like one of the benefits of that might be that by asking those deep questions and getting sort of that, 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 that really meaty kind of dialogue going, you're, you're practicing an act of courage in and of itself because too often we, you know, we like to play, lay the record and make the points, but we never like to express them explicitly. So what we end up doing is saying things without being fully engaged in asking the powerful questions. And ultimately, um, we don't set the, set the conversation up for success because either the person who's, who's on the other end feels like they're being actually kind of subtly demeaned or they've not had an opportunity to really weigh in on what the real issues are. Right. And by doing the powerful questions, you engage them and you empower them. And you're saying to them, I know that you can fix, you can change this dynamic. And that is a very different interaction than me just telling you, you need, you need to be politer to the secretaries and the clients. You're gruff, you're this. Instead, you could ask, how could you handle those conversations differently? so that people feel more valued. And all of a sudden, it's just a different type of interaction. So as you think through these issues and you work with different individuals and different organizations, you know, I've always operated on, under the concept that you can, you can help people grow and develop, but you can't fundamentally rewire them. How do you um, determine the capacity for change and, and whether people are able to make certain changes if you frame it with powerful questions or whether or not they just don't have the capacity to, to, 
to change in the right way because they're just not wired that way. I think you have to understand whether or what you're asking that person fits within their values and with their purpose. For some people, they are in the wrong spot as we talked about. But I do think that there is a lot of capacity for people, but you also have to be aware that the pace of that change may differ with individuals. Mm -hmm. And there may be issues around that time frame and change. And you have to, to determine whether the person also really wants to change. There, you know, there's, there's, you know, there's the ability and then there's the heart and soul, you know, there's a, you know, the ability to change and whether or not they actually want to have the mindset to change. And that you can, you have to be very attuned to people and what they're saying, their body language when you're talking, as well as what they don't say. In Do terms you think of most managers or what most managers within the legal field, within a law firm structure, have the background or training to make those types of assessments? And that's a broad question, I know. Okay, I mean, broadly speaking, I would say compared to corporations, the amount of training that law firms spend on management, feedback, uh, conversations to inspire and motivate a workforce are much more limited. You know, I teasingly say I was sent several times to a three-day feedback course and how to give feedback and how to have those conversations with employees so that you get change. I mean, because well, that's really what you want from feedback. You're trying to get the best out of people. It's, it's not, the purpose isn't to browbeat people, it's to unleash their power and energy and wisdom. And I don't think you see in many law firms that same investment in management skills. Again, that's general. I think it's general, but I do think it, it, it points to um, a not infrequent problem that accidental leaders or leaders who are selected for a number of different reasons, but not trained in management, um, have, have the enormous disadvantage of, not to use, overuse a phrase, but trying to, trying to build an airplane while flying because um, it is very hard to absorb that much information while doing things that are your other primary focus, such as you know practicing law, developing business. So I think that's um, that's that's something that's really incumbent upon the profession to start looking at uh, more holistically is how can we make better leaders. Right, and I would also say in-house part of how you are reviewed often is on your managerial and leadership capabilities. So that is part of your compensation. And so sometimes when you align things with the money, you get different outcomes. Uh, one question I had as I, as I looked at your talking points and as I reflected on our prep discussion, you know, about feedback being inclusive and individualized is when you have like a really defined performance evaluation system. How do you individualize it in a way so that the system itself doesn't doesn't eat doesn't ameliorate the ability to um, 
work with people, you know, in a more individualized way. Cause it sometimes seems like, I just think of growing up in a farm town and watching those things come and, you know, those machines come and, you know, just churn the field and, and tear up the corn, the dead corn. And they just kind of move and move and move. They don't really think about well, is there's still corn on that, on that tree. It's just, and, and so I wonder how, 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 how often does the system itself actually create a barrier to um, this type of constructive talent development? The, the system can create a barrier because it can uh, deflate people depending on the, how strict the system is. There can be a, you know, a feeling of inadequacy and can be unmotivating. What I did as a manager and probably to people in law firms might seem like overkill <laughs> is every month I had a meeting with each member of my team on their development and where they were. And it was focused on what they were doing well, what they could be doing differently, what type of opportunities they would like. And if I had a disagreement and I thought that they needed to work on some other things first, we would have that dialogue. But because it, it was a consistent discussion, it, it was a little bit more open and less scary than that once a year, here's your feedback. And because I took action based on those discussions, I had some credibility. But the idea that feedback isn't an annual or semi-annual process, but that really good leaders and eager learners are seeking feedback on a regular basis. Right. And I should have been, and I hopefully was, giving more regular feedback when they did something close in time both good and maybe not so good. But I, by setting course that, that other time that they knew was for them, I was also sending the message that their development was important to me. And that it was a vet, you know, if I was gonna spend the half, you know, this time each month with them, that that was valuable to me. And I wanted them to invest in themselves also. Kind of created a social compact, right? You're setting aside the time for one-on-ones one-on-ones with them and, and, and sort of the expectation is that they'll, they'll understand that and they'll put in the time um, to capitalize on the fact that you're making yourself accessible. Right. That's, um, I think that's a terrific bit of um, uh, role modeling is, and I think that even in our remote distributed environment, if leaders can use the tools that we have where Zoom may be a very difficult medium if you're talking to a group and trying to get feedback, it could Zoom or WebEx or whatever could work out, you know, okay, if you're having regular conversations with a person one-on-one -on -one and you begin to realize like their body language and you begin to see them in their environment and you begin to get an appreciation for what kind of um, obstacles they're dealing with at working remotely. Um, but it's consistency over time as opposed to sort of swoop in management and swoop in advice. Right. Yeah. It's, you know, the semi-annual or annual review. And by doing this, you, you know, you, if you want to retain talent, they have to know that they're valued and you need to do that on a consistent basis. You know, it's a huge cost to organizations when they lose talent. Yes. Attrition is expensive. Uh, replenishing talent is expensive in organizations that have high attrition rates tend to have significant problems in, in other areas. 
as we as we close, what would be, I want you to give two pieces of advice, the best advice you can give managers on how to create a, a constructive feedback environment, and then the best advice you can give young lawyers or even more experienced lawyers on how to ask for feedback. What I always tell managers and what I was open with my team is some of the things I was working on. And that's, you know, talk about lawyers being open and, be, you know, being a little scary. I would tell my team often that this was an area that I was trying to improve at and that, you know, I need their help and feedback on that area. The second thing that I would tell people seeking feedback is to, you could put it this way. There are three questions I like to ask, you know, what should I start doing? What should I stop doing? And what should I continue doing? Or, and the other way, if you feel uncomfortable asking for feedback, put it this way, how, how could, you know, we just finished, you finished a project with your manager. How could have I, how could have I added greater value on this project? That's a and beautiful piece of advice because it's a positive spin. It's not that you didn't provide value, you just wanna add more. And people like when people want to add more value. That, that is a great piece of advice and I think a great place to close. Sheila, I cannot tell you how grateful I am that you took some time. Um, I, I, I am grateful, you know, after our years of knowing each other um, on a substantive basis, and thinking of each other as substantive professionals that we got to have this kind of conversation about the people aspects of um, managing lawyers and, and non-lawyers. But, but the positivity you bring to this is, is, is truly valuable and inspiring. And I can't even express how grateful I am that we could uh, meet under these circumstances. Thank you. I loved having this conversation with you and the work that you're doing is so important. Please continue. I sure will. So Sheila, be well. Um, you know, in a year or so or six months or so, I will bug you again to see how you're doing. And if you have gained any additional wisdom, um, my guess is that you're always gaining wisdom, but this has been an absolute pleasure. Thanks. Discover how Major Lindsay in Africa can help you navigate the legal landscape at www.mlaglobal.com. <laughs>